after there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multiple multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And when I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man, who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Well, thank you for uh, reading for us, Dan, and let me welcome you again if you've joined us since we started here. Um, you can find um, a space in the bulletin on page four if you want to take notes, and please do keep that scripture passage open. We're going to be uh, looking at it together in the next few moments. So uh, before, we, um, before we consider it together, let's turn to the Lord and ask for his help in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the time we've already spent together. We thank you for your word that we've heard and sung and prayed. And uh, Lord, we have confidence now that as we, we have heard your word, that you have already spoken to us. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear. Uh, help us understand uh, what you are saying to us through your word. Help us to believe it. Help us to apply it. Lord, help us to have confidence in Jesus Christ as your powerful son. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Well, I want to speak about an unusual uh, topic today. I want to talk about uh, the subject of superstition. Superstition. Uh, what is superstition? How would you define that word? 
And it's perhaps easier to think of a few examples. Uh, we live in a scientific age, and yet superstitions still abound. Uh, we speak about jinxing things by speaking the wrong words. We believe that wearing a certain jersey on a certain day at certain times will guarantee the success of our sports team. We cross our fingers and hope to die. We knock on wood. We avoid walking under ladders. We throw money into wells and make a wish. I mean, what is that all about? You can't find a well anywhere where there isn't money in the bottom. Well, according to Merriam-Webster, this is what a superstition is. A superstition consists of a belief or practice resulting from ignorance, fear of the unknown, trust in magic or chance, or a false conception of causation. Let me read that again. A superstition consists of a belief or practice resulting from ignorance, from fear of the unknown, from trust in magic or chance, or a false conception of causation. By that definition, uh, we should ask perhaps, is Christianity itself merely superstition? Uh, Christians have certain beliefs and practices, don't we? Uh, Many would claim that these things rest on ignorance. Uh, Surely our religion has been constructed to deal with our fears. I mean, we're all scared of dying, so why not invent some idea of heaven? Uh, Now, uh, in the modern age, thanks to science, we can face our fears. We no longer have to trust in magic or chance. Uh, We can shed our false conceptions of causation, uh, dispense with the God of the gaps. Uh, Is Christianity superstition? That is certainly what some people would contend. Is being a Christian like wishing on a star or or avoiding walking under ladders? Uh, Well, of course, one of my aims today is to dispel that very idea. Uh, What we find in John chapter 5 is this, that far from being superstitious, Christianity is in fact the antithesis, even the antidote to superstition. Uh, Because of Jesus, we no longer have to be driven by ignorance or fear. Uh, Nor do we have to depend on chance or on magic. Uh, Jesus Christ is the all-powerful Son of God who has come in the flesh. Uh, Understanding his compassion and his control sets us free. It it sets us free from our irrational, superstitious attempts to manage or or manipulate the universe to our advantage. In fact, Jesus debunks two common forms of superstition in our text. Uh, And as he does this, he undermines their appeal. Uh, Superstitious beliefs and practices often come from false promises. Uh, Firstly, by healing this lame man, Jesus addresses superstitions that promise a cure. Superstitions that promise a cure. And secondly, in this conflict with the religious leaders, Jesus exposes superstitions that promise control. Uh, Superstitions that promise control. Uh, And in both cases, Jesus himself is the antidote. Uh, The answer to our superstitions is uh, uh, the promise that Jesus Christ himself is uh, both compassionate and in control. Uh, The answer to our superstitions that promise a cure is to understand Jesus' compassion. Uh, And the answer to superstitions that promise control is to understand that Jesus himself sits on the throne of the universe. And what we ultimately see is a contrast, a contrast between the poverty of superstition and the power of the Son of God incarnate. And so let's unpack all of this a little bit further. Uh, We're looking at superstitions that promise a cure and superstitions that promise control. Firstly, let's think about superstitions that promise a cure. That's what we find in verses 1 through 8. As we consider the plight of this crippled man, we're reminded of this, that that, uh, we often turn to weird and wonderful things in times of desperation. Uh, There are times when we will do anything at all to meet a need. 
I mean, I, I think about a, a young family I once heard of. Their parents were, were very intellectual scientists. They were atheists. And yet their son was terminally ill. Uh, the doctors had tried everything and, and nothing seemed to work. And so they saved up everything they had for a flight to Tibet. Uh, in a last-ditch effort, they decided to visit a faith healer uh, to see if that would work. Well, this man in John chapter 5 is in a very similar situation, except his suffering, of course, is more chronic. He's been suffering for many, many years. Uh, now, all of this takes place by a pool uh, situated outside the gates of the city of Jerusalem. Now, this wasn't like the lower Mukunji pool where families go to play. Uh, no, this was the hangout spot for the sick, for the weak, for the poor, as John puts it in verse 3. A multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed used to hang out there in these colonnades around these pools. Uh, and this man was no exception. Uh, we discover three things about him. Firstly, we find out that he was lame. I mean, he was literally lame. Verse 5 continues, uh, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Uh, now, just, um, just yesterday, uh, I went to the zoo and, and managed to injure my toe. And uh, that was bad enough. But this man could not walk for almost 40 years. Uh, not only did he suffer physically, he suffered socially as well. Not only was he lame, he was also lonely. Uh, we see that in the text there in verse 7. Look at his reply to Jesus in verse 7. It, I mean, it, it says a lot. Uh, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. Uh, Sir, I have no one. Uh, let that sink in. No friends, no family, no compassionate neighbors willing to help. And uh, perhaps most importantly, as well as being lame and lonely, this man ultimately is lost, uh, by which I mean he's spiritually lost. Uh, amid his suffering, he's, he's totally confused. And that is why he's at the pool, because he, he has some sort of superstitious hope. Uh, you might have noticed that verse 4 is missing in our text. Uh, it, it's there in the footnote, though, because it probably was not part of the original Greek text. Uh, and yet it does explain for us the appeal of this pool. It reflects a, a common superstitious belief. And in fact, here is what the footnote says. Uh, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after stirring the water was healed from whatever disease he had. I know this pool was probably sourced from an underground spring, and occasionally there was some sort of turbulence in the pool. And that had been given by, uh, by the poor and the sick and the needy some sort of weird, wonderful spiritual significance. And so the sick crowds would gather around there, uh, having their eyes peeled, watching closely for the waters to begin to move. Uh, ready to race down, ready to climb over one another to make it in first. I mean, I think of the crowds that gather outside of Best Buy on Black Friday or, or something like that. Uh, now, I joke, but here in John 5, it, it's no joke, is it? Because this is an incredibly sad picture. Uh, here is a man, lame, lonely, lost with very little hope, and, and whatever hope he has is fixated on this, this ridiculous pseudo-spiritual pipe dream. And yet, before we point the finger, we have to consider, uh, can the same thing not be true of us? In times of desperation, we're tempted to turn to all kinds of thing, things. I mean, even within the Christian church, there are all kinds of superstitions like this. Uh, people often teach that, that healing will come if you go to the right place. Or perhaps uh, you'll be healed if you can find the right person to pray for you. 
Uh, some people teach that in order to be healed, you have to have enough faith. But what does that mean? I mean, how do you get more? How exactly do you have to pray to have faith? I mean, some people believe that God will answer if you pray hard, but, but what does that mean? How do you pray harder than someone else? Uh, some of us try to coax God by making various promises to God in some sort of tit-for-tat thing. I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. And of course, it's not just Christians who do this. In the world at large, we find people who turn to all kinds of things in, in moments of desperation. For example, there is that, that greatest act of superstition. Uh, we could call it perhaps uh, what I'm referring to is relying on your lucky numbers to help you win the lottery. Uh, the lottery itself is, is a superstitious thing, isn't it? It's just confidence in chance. Uh, like this man spending 38 years throwing money away, wishing on some star in some vain hope that a, a windfall will solve all of your problems. Uh, we place our hope in all kinds of unusual things, don't we? I mean, what are some of the superstitions in your life? Maybe, uh, I think we all have them, don't we? Uh, but none of these things really help. Uh, and in one sense, we are all like this man, aren't we? In some sense, we're lame. Uh, there are ways in which we're powerless to help ourselves. Uh, we are lonely, at least to some extent, we feel disconnected. And apart from Christ, we're lost. Uh, we're lost. We're spiritually confused. Uh, we don't know exactly what to look to. And then, of course, one day... Uh, for this man, everything changes. Uh, he's there staring at the pool, waiting for the water to move, knowing that even if he does, he, he isn't actually going to make it there ahead of anyone else. Uh, and then a man comes up to him in verse 6, a man he doesn't know, uh, a man who asks him this question. Uh, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Well, uh, it's hopeless, the man says. There's no point. That there's no way for me to get in there. Now forget about the water, says Jesus, and listen to me. Look at verse 8. Uh, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Uh, and look at verse 9, at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Uh, just simply by speaking a few words, Jesus does what 38 years of superstition could never accomplish for him. Uh, and this is the point. This is the point that we see again and again in the Gospel of John. Uh, this contrast between Jesus Christ and every other alternative in fact, we've already seen it in chapters 1 through 4. We, we looked at those earlier in the year, in January through March. Uh, but we see it uh, especially in a theme that John employs again and again. Uh, we find in the Gospel of John this image of water. I remember Jesus' first miracle. He turned water into wine. In chapter 2, uh, that water came from special jars. It came from a special place. Uh, jars that held water that was used for Jewish rites of purification. Uh, the point surely was this. Jesus can do what no religious rituals can ever do. He alone can bring true life, true joy, true peace. Uh, and the second place we see this is in chapter 4 uh, with the woman of Samaria. I remember where Jesus met her. He met her beside a well. It, it was a famous well. It was the well of Jacob, the patriarch. Uh, drink from this well, Jesus said, and you'll get thirsty again. Uh, but trust in me and I will give you streams of living water. Uh, and now here we find ourselves beside water again, water that promise he promises healing, water that promises life. Uh, but as I've said, those promises are completely empty. And so whether it's Jewish rituals or the alternative religion of the Samaritans or superstitious magic, Jesus, we discover, provides something far, far better. You see, Christianity presents itself not as just another set of superstitious beliefs, 
Uh, no, Christianity is the opposite of superstition. It's the antidote to superstition. In fact, the very point is that because of Jesus, we no longer need to be ignorant. That we no longer need to live in fear. As we read in John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. We're all ignorant of him, but God, the only son who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And this is what he's revealed. This is the antidote of superstitions that promise a cure. Surely the remedy to these kinds of superstitions is to understand and, and recognize the great compassion of the Lord Jesus. I mean, one of my favorite things about this story is just how much Jesus is in the driver's seat. I mean, it's not as, as if this man goes looking for Jesus. No, he's, he finds himself in this pool, this strange place, looking for some sort of magical cause of healing. Uh, nor is it that this man has great faith. In fact, I think he has no faith at all. In this interview with the religious leaders, it becomes clear he didn't even know it was Jesus who healed him. Uh, what a great reminder of how different Jesus is to superstition. Uh, superstition is about us tapping into the power of the universe to get what we want. Uh, but Christianity is about the power of the universe coming down to earth uh, as a person. It's not about us getting God's attention, but about God getting our attention. Uh, Jesus, uh, as we've said, is God come in the flesh. Uh, and listen, do you think that the God who sent his son into the world is going to now ask us to jump through hoops? Do you think that the God who comes to us and asks us, do you want to be healed, is the kind of God who will only heal us if we, we jump first into a bubbling pool? And yet, how often do we forget this about God? And we have all kinds of conceptions about God that are just at odds with what he's revealed about himself through Jesus. And so even as Christians, we turn to superstitions. I mean, Christianity isn't a superstition, but that doesn't mean you don't find superstitious Christians. Uh, but we need to repent. In fact, maybe this is a timely word for you right now. Uh, maybe there is something you're facing in your health, your work, your circumstances. Uh, you're desperate and you can feel the pull of, uh, uh, towards something mystical or magical that might help. If so, we need to acknowledge that in our desperation, we so often try to find hope in all kinds of things. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge, we need to remember uh, the awesome compassion of Jesus. Uh, we need to turn from those superstitious things and turn back uh, to God, turn back to experience the kindness of Jesus. In fact, come to Jesus Christ even now, cry out to him for healing and hope. Uh, after all, the very reason that you're here today this morning is because Jesus Christ has sought you out, and so he asked you this morning, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? And he wants you to look away from the pool for a moment, the pool of superstition, and, and to find your hope in him and his word. And so the healing of this man reminds us that there is an antidote. The antidote to superstitions that promise a cure is to understand the compassion of the Lord Jesus. But secondly, let's move on to superstitions that promise control. And I suspect that this is going to hit closer to home for most of us. You see, the first kind of superstition is born out of desperation. Uh, this second really comes from somewhere else. Uh, these kinds of superstitions are intended to help us dominate our circumstances, to help us gain mastery over our situation. Now, often the driver isn't some specific challenge, but rather a general sense, a, a general sense that, that there is chaos in the universe. Uh, and there is a belief that somehow we can tame this uh, to create a bit of order in our little corner of the universe. I mean, there's an upsurge in our society in things like, like Wicca and witchcraft. 
Even Christian young people aren't beyond resorting to hexes or Ouija boards to try and figure out if some boy or girl likes them. I should be careful with this, but it appears to me that there are all sorts of superstitions related to food or, or perhaps dietary supplements. Uh, apparently, eating or avoiding certain herbs will, will either enhance or cause disturbances in your spiritual energy. I mean, who knew this? I mean, in a more subtle way, we, we do good things, godly things, and yet we do them in a superstitious way. Already I mentioned we pray hard for certain things, insisting somehow that praying, if we pray in a certain way at a certain time, by really focusing, we can somehow manipulate God to help us. I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago about how they grew up treating church like this. They were saying that they even still feel guilty every time they miss church. And of course, sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes that's the way you should feel. But, but what I'm describing is something else. Uh, there is this sense sometimes that if we don't follow through on certain rituals, certain practices, well, well, something bad is going to happen to you. And I want to contend that this is precisely what we see in our text. Uh, Jesus has just performed this amazing miracle. Uh, but as the story unfolds, the focus shifts away uh, from what Jesus did to when this happens. Uh, look down at verse 9. This starts a new paragraph in, in most of our versions. Uh, John chapter 5, uh, partway through verse 9. Uh, now that day was the Sabbath. Uh, verse 10 continues. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now talk about majoring on minors. I mean, this man just got healed. He's walking for the very first time in 38 years, and all they can think about is this. Well, look, you, you shouldn't be carrying that mat today. It's the Sabbath. You're breaking the rules. And now, the Sabbath was a day that was uh, intended to be uh, set apart, a day when you shouldn't work but instead should worship. It was part of God's law, even making his top ten commandments. And yet this particular rule appears to have been a man-made thing. What was work, what wasn't work? There were all kinds of rules the Jewish leaders had constructed to answer that question. But we have to ask, perhaps, why do they care so much about this? Why do they focus immediately on the Sabbath? I mean, why are they not focused on the amazing things that, that Jesus has done? This man has just been healed. More than that, not only do they focus on this, it, it actually turns them against the Lord Jesus. As we read on, we discover it's healings like this on the Sabbath that they persecute Jesus Christ and ultimately one of the things that leads them to kill him. Well, I want to suggest there is some superstition involved here. Not the magical, mystical superstition of the pool and the lame man, but rather another form of superstition that is superficially much more godly, much more religious. And many, of course, many of the big superstitions we have today relate to sports. Have you noticed that? Some uh, superstitions involve athletes themselves, like Tiger Woods always wearing that red polo. And then there are all kinds of ritual sports fans perform as well, all in the hope that they can guarantee the success of the team. You have to wear the right jersey at the right time on the right day, and, and if someone doesn't, well, you kind of wrestle them to the floor and put it on them, don't you? Because it all depends on, on what you're wearing. Not much confidence in the team, we could say. Uh, obsession with the Sabbath... I want to suggest is something like that. Uh, you see, at the time, God's people were struggling. Uh, they were occupied by the Roman forces. Uh, ultimately, they were facing God's judgment, God's judgment for breaking his covenant with them. Uh, God was frowning upon them because of their sin. 
Uh, and so the religious leaders thought, if only we can, we can get everyone to keep the rules, then, then maybe, maybe God will smile on us again. And of course, the Sabbath was a really important rule. It was something that set God's people apart. It was, if you will, the sports jersey of the Jews. And if anyone doesn't wear the jersey, well, they're going to ruin the game. And so these leaders are bent on control. They want to control the people. They want to make sure that people are strict on their Sabbath keeping. But if you think about it carefully, you'll discover actually what they want to do is control God. They want to persuade God through Sabbath keeping to somehow bless his people. What I'm talking about is a form of legalism, getting God's attention by following the rules, somehow making God happy with you, making him like you more by doing the right thing. I mean, most of us are familiar with this, but we might not realize this is really a form of superstition, isn't it? Why? Because it's based on ignorance. It's driven by fear, and most importantly, it's based on a faulty conception of causation. It fails to see that that simply is not how God works in the world. Uh, And ultimately, it's so sad to approach God in that way really is deadly. It it leads these leaders to a place of total blindness. It it makes them unable to recognize God himself walking amongst them in the flesh. It makes them unable to see what God in his grace is doing among them, healing the sick, uh, healing the slain man, even raising the dead. Uh, And of course, the same can be true of us. Even our faith can take a form of superstition, can't it? Uh, We seek to control God or the universe through our religious rituals. Uh, And when that happens, uh, it's just sad. Uh, This blinds us to the grace of God at work. It blinds us to the fact that God often works, not because of us, but despite us. I mean, think about this man again. He doesn't even know who healed him. He didn't manipulate God. He didn't control God. No, God came to him, the God who controls everything. You see, the answer, once again, is to recognize Christ and who he is. Not only to see his compassion, but to see the controlling power of Jesus as well. And now, as we see, the Jews were very strict on Sabbath-keeping. But, uh, but they did have one exemption. Uh, for the Jews, there was one person and one person alone who did not need to keep the Sabbath. Uh, of course, that person was God himself. Uh, he rested on the seventh day from his work of creation to set a pattern for us, but, but he didn't completely rest. He didn't, work from his rest uh, his work, he didn't rest from his work of providence. No, for God to take a day off would mean for the world to cease to exist, from everything to fall apart. No, God is always working, always sustaining the universe. And so the Jews had a one exemption. Everyone needs to keep the Sabbath but God himself. And here is the amazing thing we see in these verses. In this exchange with the Jewish leaders, Jesus claims that exemption for himself. Look at how Jesus answers their objection uh, about when he heals. Look at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. In other words, I am simply taking my cues from him. Now, there is no mistaking what Jesus means. I mean, even, even these uh, unbelieving Jewish leaders understand. I mean, look at what we see as we read on. Uh, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And this really is the point. If Jesus is right, if Jesus is equal with God, then Jesus is in control of everything. And if Jesus is God, if Jesus is in control, if Jesus is always working, well, we have nothing to worry about. We have no reason to be superstitious, do we? 
as we read in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Uh, From where does my help come? Uh, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Uh, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Uh, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Uh, And if that is true, what becomes of our domineering, controlling superstitions? Uh, I mean, the promises uh, promises of superstition don't just appear empty in Christ. Perhaps more importantly, if we trust in Jesus Christ, those superstitions just become unnecessary. There are superstitions that promise us a cure, that we can find healing if we turn to magic. Uh, There are superstitions that promise us control, that that, that we can somehow maneuver and manage the universe if only we follow certain rules, certain rituals. And yet if we believe what Jesus says about himself, we understand that Jesus himself holds our life in his hands. Uh, We understand that that he's in control of everything. How much we need to remember this when we feel so out of control How much we need to remember this when we're tempted to knock on wood or avoid saying certain things to jinx our situation. Remember this when you're tempted to find security not in Christ, but in performing some sort of personal or perhaps even public rituals. Jesus neither slumbers nor sleeps. His father was working until now and he continues to work. He is working all things according to the counsel of his will. He's working all things together for good. Uh, and that is what sets Christianity apart from, from ignorant superstitions. Uh, Christianity is not about controlling the universe through religion, controlling the universe through magic. Uh, rather, it's about a God who controls the universe uh, and that God coming to earth, dying and rising. It's about the fact that he now sits enthroned. Uh, he rules and reigns over all things for the sake of his people. Uh, To come back to that dictionary definition, Christianity is not about beliefs or practices resulting from ignorance or from fear of the unknown or trust in magic or chance. It does not rest on a false conception of causation. It's about the fact that Jesus removes our ignorance by revealing God. It's about the fact that we don't need to fear the unknown because even though it's unknown to us, we know a God who knows it and controls it. It's not about trusting in in magic or chance, but in the power of God, the power of God demonstrated in real-world history. Uh, And rather than having false conceptions of causation, we believe in the one who is the cause of everything. Uh, We believe in the one who made us, who sustains us, who loves us to the end. We believe in the compassion and controlling power of the Lord Jesus. And so consider for a moment, is Christianity superstition? No, it is the opposite of superstition. Uh, But of course, as I've said, that doesn't mean that we are not sometimes superstitious Christians. And so how are you superstitious? What what kind of superstitions do you cling to? Uh, When do you find yourself drawn in desperation? Uh, Which empty promises do you believe of, of some sort of cure? And when do you find yourself drawn to rules and rituals to help you bring more control over your situation? As you examine your heart, it's my hope and prayer that like this man, like these Jewish leaders, you will experience the compassion and controlling power of the Lord Jesus. And may God lead us away from superstitions and into his loving arms. May he help us turn from superstition to the power of his son, the Lord Jesus. In fact, let's ask him to do that now. 
Please bow your heads as we close in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, this great demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ in, in healing this lame man. And thank you for, uh, for what Jesus reveals about himself in this exchange with the Jewish leaders. Lord, we confess to you the way that we are so often tempted to turn to other things in our desire for, for a cure or our desire for control. And so uh, we pray that you'd help us turn from those things and, and grow us in our confident faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.